Bounty hunting is a complicated profession, and that's why we're here to cover The Mandalorian, a Star Wars show airing on Disney+. Plus. Hi, my name is Dan Morin, and I am joined this week by a very special guest. I think of him as the grief carga, really, of our incomparable network here. Uh, it's Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. How are you? Dan, I am Iron Mandalorian. <laughs> Well, it was a good show. Uh, thanks for joining me. Goodbye. <laughs> it's shorter every week. Um, well, we are here to talk about chapter three of The Mandalorian, which is entitled The Sin. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you a moment to uh, have an opportunity to give your opening statement in a Syracusean oh. fashion, if you will, just about your overall thoughts about the show to date. I think the first episode I thought was fine. But I did have that moment as we've been flooded with new shows this fall, new premium shows. I did have that moment where I thought, well, it, it kind of is that all there is? It's like it was good. It was fine. It was good. It was very Star Wars y in, in, I would say, maybe a little more pandering y way than I would have liked. Um, and now nobody get mad at me because then I watched episode <laughs> two and I was like, Oh no! This is great. This is this is great. Episode two was the one where I I bought in completely, and I was like, I see what's happening here, which is they are you know they are taking a bunch of different genres and smashing them together, uh, and considering Star Wars, which is itself right, yeah a smash of genre genres as a genre and smashing other genres back into it. It's I was like, okay, this is really smart, and I like the pacing and and that episode two, which was which was they're they're all in. Th- the 30 to 40 minute range so far right, yeah and this episode was too and i thought like i like the pacing i like how episodic it is i saw i think alan seppenwall maybe um the tv critic said on twitter that this is the uh, or maybe he was retweeting somebody else but it was another tv critic it was like this is the argument against binge watch culture and i agree 100 percent. i don't love dropping whole seasons in a binge right, i can right. accept that some shows that's a good thing but like I love that each of these episodes is its own thing while telling a continuing story, and then it makes you wait and talk about it and wonder right, what's going to yeah. happen next. Like, everything about this is structured to roll out this way, and these episodes are themselves, like, a little thing, a little movie, um, and I, I really love that. So the, uh, those were the things I was really expecting. I didn't do... um a lot of prepping for the Mandalorian. Yeah, I sort of was like, okay, uh, you know, I knew I knew vaguely what it was about, but only very, very vaguely. And obviously, it turns out they kept a lot of secrets from us. Um, but so, so I'm really enjoying it. In the first episode, like I said, I, I didn't think negatively of it, but I was like, meh. And then the second episode really blew me away. And the third episode is is uh, in the same ballpark as the second. I think. Yeah, uh, I, it's funny that you mentioned the binge watching thing because, of course, we finished watching it last night. And my wife immediately turned to me and she's like, "I wish I, we could just watch the next one." And I was like, uh, "Yeah, uh, but it's that—that's what they're going for. They want you to feel hooked." But I agree with you. I like being able to have this one little thing that you kind of digest over the course of a week, and it it really gives you something to look forward to and anticipate. I think, which is kind of lost in the binging culture when you can just hit next and watch the next thing and pretty soon yeah. you've watched two seasons of a show and then you have this empty feeling inside and, and you of don't, you and like you don't know necessarily know the sequence and the episodes all blur together i get it like look in the end this is, this is gonna sound way more fatalistic than it should but like in the <laughs> end isn't everything bingeable mm-hmm. like in the in the end it will be over and then you can watch them all in a row if you right, want to sure. but like i really like the ability to pace it and say we're going to slow this down and you're going to get a little bit of time to contemplate, you know, the episode where there's the the 
the crazy sand rhino and the Jawa, you know, sand crawler and all of that. And then like, and now he's taking the baby back to the planet. Is he really going to turn the baby in? Uh, you know, he's not. He's our hero. Come, but maybe he is, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I want a week of that before getting this episode. I think that's good. I, I And I love the anticipation of it, too. Because there's, you know, sometimes binging feels like homework. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, uh, you know, I guess we can go back to that. I've got eight more episodes of that. And this fall, I've been watching a lot of, I'm watching Watchmen, and I'm watching some of the Apple TV Plus shows, and I'm watching this show. And... I, I and I've also been watching Jack Ryan on Amazon, and oh, the yeah? difference yeah. there is that one the whole thing's available, and it feels a little more like homework. Like, well, I guess we could watch a Jack Ryan. Whereas Thursday night, Friday come around, and we're like, oh, for yes. all mankind is out, uh, Mandalorian is out. Like, it, it's, it's a point. Anticipation yeah. is nice to have because it helps you be enthusiastic about the show. So I'm I'm happy with the meta aspect of how this thing has been crafted because I mean it has been crafted to be released this way. I like that it's been it's been crafted that way. Um, and I enjoy the ways it goes exactly with what we expect to happen and then the ways where it goes against it. And mm-hmm. I think that's a kind of a fun game to play of like, where where does this play into the uh, these especially like Western gunfighter kind of tropes? Right. Yep. And where does it where does it do a little swerve? And that's been fun. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's do a quick step through of this episode and what happens. Um, so we we open more or less where we left off. You know, the, the Mando ship comes out of hyperspace. He's got the baby. The baby gets out of its little bassinet. It starts uh, unscrewing one of his control knobs and playing with it. Um, we're very endeared to the baby. I think the, the, the amount of memes just in the last week oh, man. For, for Baby Yoda, it's off the charts. And I got to agree. Bo- he's adorable. She. Boomer. It. Okay. Um, the uh, the I also that points out. I, I like to think this is my head cannon here. Is that that uh, you're like that little ball on the top of that lever? That should have really been uh, screwed down harder, right? And it's like, what do you, you realize? We just put the ship back right, together. Right. Like yeah, exactly. two guys just reassembled exactly. this entire ship in the desert at night. So it, not everything is screwed down. It's a miracle he got there at all. But yes, it is super adorable. Like. Uh, what is the is the baby gonna gonna drive the ship? And it's like, no, the baby just wants the ball. <laughs> yep, that's it. That is all the baby wants. Yeah. So we return to our unnamed planet, uh, and we get a quick holograph uh, communication from Grief Karga, aka Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers, yes. Carl Weathers, as himself. I, just, I like to think of him as Carl it's Weathers. Just space yes. Carl Weathers, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he he congratulates Amanda and says, like, you know, the the client is getting antsy. Uh, I don't know if he wants to eat this thing or hang it on the wall, but, you know, mm-hmm. go ahead and deliver it. So the Mandalorian offloads his cargo. He sort of tra- uh, walks through the whole s- little town with the Baby Yoda tra- like trailing him, floating along, taking so in all convenient. the sights. So yeah, convenient. You need one of those. You need one of those. Yeah, uh, and the Baby Yoda, you know, for all we know, has been like out in that desert stronghold being watched over by its... Not very competent uh, protection <laughs> staff. Well, I guess competent enough, but not quite competent enough production staff yeah. all this time. And now it's in the middle of this uh, this uh, town, so it's like super full of like uh, sights and sounds for the baby. The baby is enjoying it. I it's think. really taking it all in. And he goes back to his the, the client's little hideout. Um, I thought it was remarkable how much is conveyed again with no dialogue and you know the mandalorian's face being behind the helmet but like there is legit sadness i think to this idea like you know what is even if you don't know exactly what's going to happen to baby yoda as he gets turned in to the client you know it's nothing good and so watching the mandalorian slowly walk and take the you know the baby all the way to this place and you're like oh man this is just like 
how is the baby going to feel? Is it going to be betrayed? To me, that was really, it was, I don't know, moving is not quite the word, but like, it, was, it had an emotional aspect to it, which I was really impressed with. Yeah, if you had told me that this episode, or that this show, and, and who knows, I mean, they're saying this, but I don't know if I entirely believe them, but like, the first three episodes at least, like, he he's just in his mask, and you're not supposed to tell, take the helmet off, and he's just like, this is him. And I first episode, I'm like, come on, he's got to take the, the mask off, right? This is so Green Goblin in Spider Man. Like, you gotta, I need the, I need to to see him emote. And after three episodes, I've decided, you know what? This is a physical performance. It's like a mm-hmm. creature performance. Yeah, is what yeah. it is. It's it's uh, what if you are wearing you know thick amounts of makeup, even if you could see the face, you hear about people who play monsters and creatures, and they have to do a lot of physical acting, you know, a lot of body stuff because the face just can't come through because there's makeup on it or it's obscured and that's what this performance is and it's really good it's like really it is good. you're right he is he is reluctant and torn and uh concerned and you mentioned grief carga saying like i don't care whether he's going to eat it or hang it on a wall or whatever like i i think that goes that's the central question of this episode you know the 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 sin of the uh, of the bounty hunter culture, I suppose, in a way, is um, this amoral uh, view of their jobs. It's like you just got to do the job, and then you forget right. about it. And of course, obviously, that is the central question here: is can he forget about turning this adorable baby yeah, <laughs> over right. to Werner Herzog and his collection of <laughs> Imperial stormtroopers? It is a real dilemma. Um... So, and we get a hint of that. The one line I think that we get in there is, uh, you know, the, the stormtrooper like tips the bassinet down to look at the baby and, you know, the Mandalorian's like easy with that. And the stormtrooper in, in tradi- I feel like the stormtrooper verbal riposte is about as good as stormtrooper shooting people. It's like, you take it easy. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Very and they, they've all got that flat, uh, American accent filtered, mm-hmm. um, filtered through the radio in that certain way. And I, like, I have a little, uh, uh, like a, it's, I've had it for ages, but it's a little battery-operated stormtrooper that has a little electric eye kind of uh, thing on it. And as you pass by, it it'll say like uh, "move along" or, uh, <laughs> or you know, it's it's from from Star Wars, the original. And uh, I I was laughing because they nailed it. Those the stormtrooper dialogue, and there's oh, not yeah. a lot of it, but it's just as flat and dumb yep. as it should be. It's, it's great. <laughs> there are way more stormtroopers though. <laughs> yeah. Than I yeah. thought there. Were. I counted the stormtroopers. They were like three and now there's 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 more there's yeah. turns out there's a room somewhere with way more stormtroopers in it you got to stack them up like cordwood um Oof. so the warlord is very delighted to have his package delivered the doctor scans it and reports it is very healthy everybody's mm. super happy and the mandalorian gets paid uh with his ice cream maker container full of beskar which yeah. is a uh, uh an easter egg for those who are fans of um there's like a weird conspiracy theory about there's a guy in the background of Cloud City and Empire who when they're evacuating is running out carrying this container and for years everyone was like it looks like an ice cream maker so that's what they sort of called it and uh that's definitely a deep cut and there's a few of those in this episode that are sort of deep cut references for Star Wars fans it doesn't matter if you don't get it it's just like a little thing for people who are really really big like detail oriented or obsessed yeah. fans uh, I, but I, I didn't get it. the reference and and i just was like that's awfully elaborate for a <laughs> right holder of right. metal slabs but okay yeah you know, whatever that's fine you got to keep them insulated um you got to keep them secure it's important and i like the i like and this comes up later too but the, the talking about the best car slabs with the imperial stamp on them mm-hmm. i think that's one of the one of the really nice things that that uh, we don't know a lot about the mandalorians right. as a people but here we see like you know there's there's nazi gold yeah, echoes yeah. this is like their 
there there are people without a they're, they're a tribe basically without a without a home um so they and their and their uh, possessions have been stolen you know by the empire and turned into these slabs with the empire stamp on it and there's that whole question of like you know is accepting uh beskar from a vestige of the empire uh criminal or is it you know the empire's over and we got to get our beskar back and i like i they're all those you know that parallel debates in our world um and i I, it gives the Mandalorian culture some depth that I really like. Yeah, and uh, the Werner Herzog makes a comment here about how finding a Mandalorian is more difficult than finding the steel, which also gives us, you know, like reinforcement that the Mandalorians are in hiding. Uh, there aren't a lot of them around, and we get a little bit more on that uh, basically right after this, because uh, once he takes his payment and the baby is wheeled off into the the lab. No wheels. It's just floated, it's floated off. Floated yeah. off, presumably never to be seen again. <laughs> never. Nope. That's um, it. And you, the, you, you guys all love Baby Yoda, but that's <laughs> it. The rest of the, the, the show, it's not about him. That's right. Done. Sorry. Uh, the Mandalorian asks a, a very impertinent question about what is going to happen to the baby, and Werner Herzog gets a little testy about how this is the this is the deal. You got your job. Code. You got your payment. Now we we forget about it, and you go your way, and, and I go mine. No questions asked. No questions asked. Um. So the Mandalorian returns to the Mandalorian club. I'm calling it. It's an underground club. Uh-huh. Uh, and brings his Beskar to the armor, who says, yeah, that's great. I'll make you a new chest plate. Um, there's a little more, like, hinted at here with the, the Mandalorian culture. Um, the uh, the armorer says this will draw a lot of attention. And, of course, all the other Mandalorians filter in. And that's where we get this debate that you're alluding to, where it's like, well, you, you, you're working with the Empire who stole all our stuff. That's why we have to hide down here. And they're sort of reinforcing that this is what keeps them safe. Um, and so the Mandalorian gets his new chest plate. Um, right. but not plus, <laughs> plus a little extra for, for foundlings. Yep, for the foundlings. Uh, and we get our flashbacks once again. Mm. Uh, and this interested me because this is one of the few places that we get a, a kind of a solid time marker. So both the ship that, that we sort of briefly see doing like a strafing run and the droid that we see confronting the child in the flashbacks are uh-huh. both Clone Wars era. That's a super battle droid, and that's a uh, droid like um, artillery platform or something. I looked it up afterwards. I was like, ah, oh, that looks really familiar. I knew the super battle droid, which is basically just a beefed up version of the battle droid. So those show up in Clone Wars, and I think maybe in some of the, maybe in episode two or three, kind of in the background in some places. So it seems like whatever conflict the Mandalorian, as assuming that is indeed him as a child was involved in yeah. was probably around the clone wars um we do get a brief fight too with one of the guys and uh, other mandalorians in armor um and they have vibro blades which is a thing i think that's been uh, talked about in star wars canon since like the timothy zahn books and has never been seen before hmm. so that was kind of cool um and then we have our our sort of cult-like discussion at the end where this is the way right like this is right. the way of the mandalorian um and yeah, we get the sort of a lantern hung on the fact that like, has have you ever taken your helmet off, uh, or has anybody ever taken your helmet off? Which right. seems like a thing that could be dropped in there for later at some point. Yeah, yeah that that was my thought about it. Is they've they've talked about oh no, you know he never takes his helmet off, and and I think mm, or he does, and it's a big moment, and you don't want to spoil it, or somebody a, removes it, or which... somebody removes it, and that's a big deal. But the, the, I I didn't think of it as cult like as much as like it's their 
it's their way. I mean, again, I'm really kind of deep into this idea that they are a diaspora yeah. and they're no, they're on the edge right. and they're 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 maintaining their culture as best they can in this circumstance. And that that's something that comes out with that is like, you know, you call yourself a Mandalorian, you need to do you need to light the candles, right? <laughs> Stuff like right. that, right? No, I agree. I mean, cult. I guess I cult has a pejorative sense to it, but certainly there is an element. A good cult, of, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it just culture means, producing cult. Yes, yes. Uh, although my my wife asked, how does he wash his face? And I was like, that's a great question. How does he itch his nose? Like, there's a spray. There's a little stick thing on the inside. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. lots of questions. Um, but yeah, I think the diaspora thing is exactly the way to view this. And what interests me about that as well is also the focus on the foundlings and, of course, his relationship with the baby, uh, which seem to have echoes of each other, also make me wonder, you know, are the Mandalorians that we are seeing actual, legit Mandalorians? Are they people who have simply embraced the Mandalorian way of life? If he right. was a foundling, maybe he... And, and there is a mention at one point in here of, like, when you choose the life of the... Or to follow yes. the way of Mandalore... Suggesting yes, that perhaps I, he's a convert or a. I, I read yeah. that. I read that that the way that they um, that they have extended the Mandalorian culture, despite being mostly um, presumably you know killed off, is by taking in orphans mm-hmm. and raising them in the Mandalorian yes. culture, and that's how they. And and again, you know that there, there's a lot of cultures throughout history that have have defined what it means to be in the tribe in a way to ensure the survival of the culture right and you know when i when i first started dating my wife who's jewish you know it's like the whole thing about like if a if a jewish mother has babies they're jewish and and i thought Mm -hmm. well that's a cultural tradition but it's also something that is designed to make sure that the jewish people continue yep um and, and and not talk about like well no half or quarter it's like nope (laughs) <laughs> full jewish babies of jewish mother and i was thinking about that with the mandalorian it's like how, what's your strategy to survive in the galaxy and keep your culture alive and one of them seems to be a, a system of orphanages so they're bounty hunters slash uh, orphanages <laughs> yeah that's a good combination there's a lot of synergy there I feel there's like a lot works. of father and son mandalorian that's you know right. kind of going on i guess i don't know um we also get the armorer making these whistling birds uh for the mandalorian which we're told ah, is a powerful yes. weapon to deal with multiple opponents that will surely not come up anywhere else in this episode uh so the mando goes back to see grief karga he's wearing his shiny new armor everybody's eyes are on him and karga confirms they all hate you because you're awesome and they failed to bring the baby in because um, it turns out everybody everybody took the assignment to get the baby and failed yep and these are the ones who survived right and that's also fascinating too because in the first episode when he offers it he seems he seems kind of reluctant almost to offer it to the mandalorian when karga is like uh talking about the jobs um so i i'm interested too in why if it feels like they have a relationship right like and karga makes a point too here at the end where he's like oh yes i always have time for my most valuable client like clearly putting the screws to everybody else in there about how much they <laughs> they're terrible uh compared mm-hmm. to the mandalorian and so i feel like it's an interesting they have an interesting dynamic there um where uh, there is it feels like there might be some affection but as the the episode continues we realize that like maybe not as much <laughs> as either of them would hope because well, it's that it's that amoral uh bounty hunter right, lifestyle right? right like it's part of the, it's part of that friends? code right yeah yeah so um you know the, the mandalorian wants to get right back to work uh karga offers him a few jobs and he sort of picks one half-heartedly that's you know a nobleman's son skipping bail and then before it the, leaves, it's a uh, Mon, Mon Calamari, it's a Mon Calamari right? yeah. 
Yep. Uh, and before he leaves, he asks Karga again what they're doing with the kid. And Karga's again, says, I didn't ask. That's the deal. Uh, they have a discussion about the Empire. We're confirmed that the Empire is gone and that all that's left are mercenaries and warlords, which sort of confirms what I was thinking of Werner Herzog's character, who seems kind of like a like a local warlord with his own little leftover pocket of stormtroopers. Yeah. Lauren asked me about this. She was like, um, why why are there stormtroopers if the Empire like is over? And I said, well, you know, it falls. I, I, I was kind of thinking about like Iraq. Like, yeah. They, you've got a society that's fallen, but there's chaos and there's the elements of the army of the previous regime and they don't all just hand in their weapons. They become like, you know, again, part of a local militia or warlord or they're, they're going off somewhere and you're talking about a galaxy here. So you can have like, there's tens of thousands of stormtroopers easily. Planets are still under their control or I mean, because the truth is they're the ones with the weapons and uh, a, a control structure. And so presumably if they want to you know, want to continue exerting control over their little part of the galaxy, they can do that. But it, I, I like also that it's unclear. Like, it could be that Werner Herzog and the Stormtroopers are a local, you know, a local warlord kind of organization. It could be that they're like the Mandalorians underground and barely hanging on because mm-hmm. everybody hates them and they can't, they don't even show their faces in public when they can, or their what, dumb white helmets in public when they can avoid it. Um, it could also be the um, the mercenary thing, which is that they've sure. been sent there as a beachhead to find that that baby and to take the baby somewhere to do something with the baby. And we don't know at all. But I, I like the mystery of it and the idea that um, we know from the new movies that the First Order does kind of assemble itself out of the bits of the Empire. So that's also hanging in the background that maybe these are people who are putting the First Order together. Uh, out of the remnants of the empire but we don't know which right, I, right. I like i like what we yeah. don't know and it's it's good that's a great point about them being perhaps underground that is mentioned i think when when Karga gives them the job in episode one is like there's an underground job you know somebody with deep pockets which also does seem to support that idea that they may they are mercenaries or they are here specifically for this purpose but we don't know no. um so the you know after deciding he's not going to do any rest and relaxation the you know the mando takes his job it's far away he's gonna go and um you know forget all about this so he goes back to his ship goes to take off and everything seems to be going fine until he realizes when he goes to pull that lever that the knob that he took off for the baby is still not attached and he has his his moment of mm. choice. Does he go? Does he stay in? And for a moment, they play it pretty far, right? Like, he puts the knob back on, and then he pulls the lever, and it's like, all right, maybe he's really going to go. But no, of course not. The die is cast. He shuts down the ship. And now we enter our uh, our sort of third act here, where he mm. is he's going to uh, he's gonna follow his own, follow his heart, as it were. So he goes back to the Warlord's hideout. Uh, in another really stupid Easter egg, uh, while he's going to the dumpster in the back, uh, he he passes a giant, there's like a set of poles laying against the wall, and one of them is, swear to God, it's a pole that's in the trash compactor that they try to use to like prop <laughs> the walls to fly apart. I mentioned huh. this, and my wife says, you are a giant nerd. <laughs> so, yep. That's imperial building materials. <laughs> that's right. Standard, Shoddy standard imperial. Stuff. I like that there's, you know, a space dumpster behind the space uh, yeah, outpost. Yeah, well, you your space trash somewhere. And- and and uh, also that there's that you know the droid with the 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 ball the the you know the doorbell droid yes thing yes. whatever that is which which we've seen twice now but 
Um, in this section, he just <laughs> rips right, right out. That's I love. It. We've all that, wanted to do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, he finds the discarded bassinet. He surveils the place, and this is where we get a little bit more hint that there's something else going on here. We hear the warlord telling the doctor to extract the necessary material, and the doctor says he's explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive. So somebody else is paying the bills or pulling yeah. the strings here. We don't know what the deal is and it shows that Werner herzog is not he's middle management he does and he doesn't he doesn't care if the baby is alive or dead because right. he offers a, a a dead uh option for less money to the mandalorian and here he also seems kind of cavalier about it so obviously it's sort of like the most important thing is extracting whatever but the but you know it, it's preferential that the baby uh, be alive, and obviously the doctor cares about the baby's life in a way that Werner Herzog does not. Indeed. Uh, so, as you mentioned, he he rips off the doorbell, he lures the troopers out, uh, and then blows his way back, uh, blows up the back door to go in, and then we have sort of a uh, uh, ninja predator scene where he's kind of sneaking around, taking out all these stormtroopers one by one with all his various tricks. <laughs> stormtroopers are very hard to, to kill. Again, Lauren said, you know, why if if the empire is over why are they still wearing that armor and i said well you got to wear armor to protect yourself and she gestures at the screen and says no it doesn't help it it really like for armored like one hit and they're down which well, it's is cheap mass produced armor it's right? very bad armor yeah and yeah. all all weapons in the galaxy have been calibrated to shoot through it yeah exactly or or the mandalorian is also so good that he's shooting at all so the weakest good. points yeah that that must be it that's probably it um when he uh, gets into the room where the child's being held, he shoots. There's a floating interrogation droid, a la uh, the yeah, Doctor Ball. Doctor Ball, Ball is there, uh, and the doctor begs the. This is an interesting scene because the doctor begs the Mandalorian not to hurt the child and says, "I protected him. If it wasn't for me, he'd already be dead." Um, the Mandalorian asks what he's doing to him, but it's unclear. He's just like in a little scanner or something. Uh, and then the Mandalorian grabs him and disappears with the child, fights his way out, including uh, making his way through a room where he is surrounded by a, ho- a whole bunch of troopers, goes to put the baby down, and the whistling birds come into play as they turn out to be little yeah. missiles that shoot out and knock everybody down and kill them, which is pretty cool. Yeah, really, really uh, fun. Uh, although it was that moment of like, remember that thing from very recently <laughs> yeah, in this right. episode? It's hard to do callbacks when you're like, your episodes yeah. are only like half an hour. Yeah. Um, but his troubles are not done yet as all of the tracking fobs that we were hinted at earlier come back online and the hunters start following him as he makes his way back to the ship. And he's eventually confronted by Karga, uh, who basically says, you're not leaving with the kid. Put him over on that speeder there. We'll talk. Uh, Mandalorian. You know, thinks about his options, realizes he's in trouble, jumps into the speeder, and then we have kind of a fun, very Western-style shootout scene where he tells the droid to drive, and everybody's shooting at him, and he's, like, picking people off left and right. Mm -hmm. Droid Uh, doesn't want to drive, uh, and and is proven to be, uh, to show very quickly why, because the droid is then shot. Yep. (laughs) Well, he was going to get shot one way or another, so... yeah. Uh, the Mandalorian, also uh, feeling cornered, pulls out his rifle and starts disintegrating people because that's his move. That's, yeah. that's what he does. Uh, but he is kind of outnumbered and he's getting closed in on when there are some explosions and the rest of the Mandalorians show up to save the day, uh, flying in on their jetpacks, shooting people with all their pistols and their heavy guns and all of this. And it turns into sort of a pitch fire firefight. Uh, the Mandalorian is told to to take the kid and go, 
he expresses concern that they'll have to relocate to their covert. Um, and the, the Mandalorian says only, this is the way. So, you know, once yes. again, pointing to a, a larger code, right? Like that there is a, not just his bounty hunter code, but there's a Mandalorian code as well. Mm-hmm. He gets to his ship. Uh, Karga's waiting for him and, and sort of chastises him for breaking the code. He uh, shoots the carbonite gas to hide himself and then shoots Karga and takes off. But we find out that, that Karga has remained alive because he had the Beskar in his pocket that we saw earlier. That's his, so great. His share payment. Very That's much such the, a great. Yeah, I really like the that. Bible, I, the Bible stopped yeah, the, the Bible bullet. stopped the bullet or the badge <laughs> stopped the bullet or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I wondered, part of me wondered, because the Mandalorian had seen it, whether he is, you know, so good. He's like, well, I feel bad. I kind of like that guy. I'm just going to knock him out. Or if he, you know, just, just, it was just a lucky, lucky situation. We don't know. I don't know. Uh, but as he flies off, uh, one of the Mandalorians flies by in a jetpack, and we get a, uh, a scene that felt to me very much like an homage to the Rocketeer, which we've covered previously, because there's a mm-hmm. very similar scene with the Rocketeer flying by and saluting people in a plane. Um and uh, he un- he says to himself, I got to get one of those, uh, yeah. uh, which that, yeah. I'm looking forward to that later on the season when he gets gotta, a jetpack. Got to get a jetpack. Got to get a jetpack. They're cool. Uh, and he unscrews the knob to give back to the baby to play with and uh, yeah, heads that's off. A r- that's a really great moment because the baby is not doesn't have the, the, the bassinet anymore. So right. the baby is just sort of standing uh, next to him, but you can barely see the baby because the baby's very, very small. But you, he takes the the ball off, and and the hands come up. Yep, and take the ball back down. It's that's so it's good. Very, it's very the good. the use of the baby and like parts of the baby that you don't need to see the whole baby. It's in a you know it, it it's it makes it funnier and cuter, and it's great. It's no Love half it. baby, Jason. No, you, you get whole, baby. Whole, or, get whole baby. order uh, whole baby <laughs> um, experiment on half. Yeah. I don't know. That seems bad. Um, yeah, so we are left once again with a question of where is he going. Uh, what is his plan now? <laughs> Everybody has, is uh, looking for him and the baby now, right? That's that's, right. that's the even though there was this firefight, it's not like well we killed all the bounty hunters, so now nobody will be looking for the Mandalorian. It's like all the bounty hunters are going to be looking for him, and all of whoever is behind what uh, Werner Herzog's plan was on there, they're all going to be looking for the baby. Like it's a uh, he's that that that's a real and again enjoyable for the next week open question, which is what do you do now now there was a hint about like well you could you know you could report them to the inner systems to the and new republic like, yeah. <clears throat> new republic come on that's a waste of time and i and i think well maybe 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 you need to go somewhere where there's law and order now <laughs> right because right. you were being chased by all of these lawless criminals because they wanted to eat a baby or whatever <laughs> experiment on a baby uh maybe you do need to run into the arms of people who you don't like and who don't like you um or maybe you just go hide somewhere. I don't yeah, know. Maybe you have friends somewhere else that we don't that you know of who are going to watch your back. It's unclear. Do you think this guy has friends? It's unclear. He certainly has <laughs> associates, maybe, or people he has met before or possibly worked with before. He might not have friend friends, but he might have allies. <laughs> Hi, we met once, yeah. and I stole a baby that everybody <laughs> wants to get back. Uh, can I crash here? You may remind, remember me as the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah uh awkward name um yeah so i thought this episode was really it was really great i really liked the so they call this one the sin which i thought was really interesting because that could have so many different interpretations based on what you consider sort of what is the right thing to do is the sin him uh you know giving up the baby is it him breaking his code is it him you know right running away with the baby right like there's all sorts of questions questions. about the baby exactly so like Mm -hmm. we really play 
into this whole gray area. I mean, it seems very clear to us now that he is on at least the side of protecting this baby for whatever good that may be. It doesn't mean he's an unvarnished good good guy necessarily, but he's certainly acting in what seems like a moral fashion here. But yeah, I think that's a it's an interesting way right. to view this because he has his own code but we we don't quite know yet how it plays in with sort of the larger events happening here. Yeah, and my for my money, I'm going to put down that the sin. You're right; it can mean so many things. I I interpret it to mean his sin is against the code by caring, by showing some vestige mm-hmm. of morality. Because the code is, which is the irony of it, right? His sin is morality, right? But I think that's what's going on here is that is that he. Has to, he's put in a position where he has to decide, this, this gunfighter, decide between the life of this baby and business as usual that has kept him in business for all this time. And he realizes that, that that's a very difficult decision to make. And he, he, he thinks about it a lot, but he ultimately decides that he just can't be that person who, even if that means he has to abandon everything that he already, you know, that he has built up to now, which is what. I mean, literally built because it was disassembled on the sand planet <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting place to leave him. And it makes us uh, even more interested in who this guy is and what, you know, we've gotten flashes of his backstory. But, like, what makes him different that he couldn't, and maybe it is that he was a foundling, but that he could not abandon the baby. And then, of course, there's the larger question of this, which is, what the heck is going on with his baby? Right. <laughs> which right. I didn't realize that... And I, I thought it would be a series of bounty hunter adventures, and that would be what the show is. But now it's obviously there is this bigger story arc, which is there's a there's a baby from Yoda's species that is very, very much Force-sensitive, and people in Stormtrooper armor want to get the baby. Um, that's interesting, right? Like, what is happening? Where did the baby come from? Who wants him? And that's and and that's obviously more of the story here than you know various uh, serialized bounty hunter adventure kind of stuff. So I think that's uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to. Right. I mean, I think that even though the episodes do a nice job of telling these little snippets that feel very self-contained, overall, I feel like what you're ending up with is kind of a long movie that's sort of one of your classic Western or samurai stories where it's like person who's seemingly you know, is out for themselves and has a code, but isn't really necessarily a good guy. But, you know, maybe they got a heart of gold, right? Like, maybe, maybe they're there so. to save a baby. Um, but in in this chapter form, which I wanted to also mention, like, so Dave Filoni is involved with this show. He's one of the producers, along with John Favreau. Um, and he has a long history in animation and Star mm-hmm. Wars animation. And I, I wanted to mention that because these, and I don't know how to say this right, these episodes feel like animated series episodes in a way, and, and I don't mean it in any way other than that they seem to be willing to be... I saw somebody mention Cowboy Bebop at one point. It's like, mm-hmm. they're episodic. They're pushing the big story forward, but every episode is what it is and is willing to be very sort of stylized if necessary and really, uh, in a way that a lot of animated series are, the storytelling is very compact because mm-hmm. animated series tend to only have 22 minutes right, or so right. to tell their story. And it feels like that where it's like, this is the, this is the episode where X happens. And so many hour long dramas, especially today are just stuffed full. And these episodes have a lot going on in them, but they also feel like they're about a thing and they're compact. And then they tell their story. And then next week you get another chapter. And it reminded me of, of some animated series I've seen that are, 
that are are have the freedom to be a little stylized and a little bit different because this episode is is well that was that episode right and the rules right. there are some rules that maybe only apply in that episode and then the next episode is going to do something different even as it's telling the next chapter in the story i really i really like that i wish more shows would uh take the hint maybe of mandalorian and say oh that's an interesting way to do um to do this kind of storytelling and again everything is very spare and economical of uh, down from like the dialogue i mean there's probably more yeah, dialogue guy- in this episode than either of the previous episodes but there's yeah, still but they, not a lot like, the guy doesn't talk like that 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 scene w- that we we went over where he's he's debating with himself whether he's gonna go back for the baby it's silent yeah. right but, like, every, but you it, know exactly what's going on you know what's it, going it's silent he's wearing a mask yeah. and yet you know exactly what's going on there and get to kind of and you know that this show is going to be like oh maybe i should go back and you're like of course he's going to go back but like how and you see him all do it and there's no dialogue like it's not necessary Right. And that's, and, that's, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot too. I think it's a very high degree of difficulty and I think they're pulling it off really well. For sure. Um, For sure. you know, and, and it has very much that feeling of, again, your classic Western, you know, your man with no name, Clint Eastwood movie. But yeah, it, it, the fact that it can convey so much with so little, I mean, the f- very fact that he speaks so little means that every time he does speak, it has a lot of weight to it, right? Like we assign a lot of weight to a line of dialogue because, this is a man who chooses his words very carefully, right? Like, he doesn't speak unless there is really a need to do that. Therefore, everything he says kind of has import to it. So I, I enjoyed that a lot as well. Um, I think that shootout at the end is staged really well. It felt very, very Western-y. Somebody jumping into a wagon and, you know, making somebody yeah. drive it down the street while he Shout picks out, out people. Shout out to uh, Deborah Chow, who directed mm-hmm. this, who is the, uh, the showrunner uh, on the for- Obi-Wan and, and I think the first woman to direct Star Wars. That may be the live case. action. Yes. I think. I think that may be right. Yes. Um, and of course, I think I think next episode is directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. So you know, the the uh, it, it doesn't have to be there for uh, only just like a week, and then she'll have some company. But like, I think it's I, and she's directed a bunch of other uh, stuff, including Jessica Jones and Better Call Saul. But like good job here you know she it's a tough job to pick up the directorial reins from the guy who runs the show and writes the show and directs the show which Mm -hmm. is john favreau so uh you know but he couldn't direct every episode so he got other people to direct it she does a great job here and uh you know this is and, and all the way down the line like this is a very, very well-made show. Yeah, I mean, and it continues to be uh, exceptionally good-looking. Um, I think all the, the sets and the special effects are done yeah. really well. Um, you know, special call-out, especially to the, the, the baby Yoda. Um, I was asking our friend Joe Steele uh, what his thoughts were in terms of, like, how, how are they doing this? Is it CGI? Is it puppetry? Is it animatronics? And it seems like it's some combination of, like, having a physical puppet or uh, you know somewhat animatronic uh rig yeah fine line between puppet and animatronic i think it just means whether there's like remote controlled puppetry or actual puppetry right right and and but it looks it's one of those things that accomplishes its job so well that you don't spend time thinking about how it looks it's just convincing in what it is Right, and I think Joe said that, yeah, he said it's probably they're touching it up with CGI, yep. but that it yep. probably starts as a physical puppet, and I, I, that makes sense to me. I think that's what they did with a lot of Yoda stuff, sort of, before they went all CG Yoda, that yep. was the idea, was it's a it's a puppet, or or I guess in The Last Jedi, it's like that, right, where it's, it's a puppet, 
but also CG is used as it is with humans to enhance. Sure. It feels their- very, and this is something I think Aline and I talked about too last week was it feels very sparing though. Like it feels like it yeah. could have splashed this stuff everywhere, but they, they are very deliberate in what they're doing and how they're tweaking things. And it, I think what I keep coming back to is, is how much like star Wars it looks, uh, or yeah. certainly that, that element of, you know, uh, the stories that we saw that took place in, in places like this, right? Like the Moss Eisley style stuff like it, it right. very much feels like it evokes the same feelings well and the the, the travelogue nature of this so episode one and three are set largely in the same place uh but episode two was in the sand planet mm-hmm. and uh we don't know where we're going with episode four but i i get the feeling like that's one of the interesting things they're doing with this uh with the the arc of this show is that we're going to see other environments which is more expensive than mm-hmm. reusing the same sets over and over again but it does mean we get to see other corners of the Star Wars universe, which is which is nice, right? Because you could do a whole show that's just set on a couple of planets, but it is kind of fun to be able to show the expanse of uh, of worlds that are available in Star Wars. Yeah, well, we can still continue to go to all these worlds that have only one kind of ecosystem on them. <laughs> Let's just keep that going in the Star Trek fashion. We've got a jungle planet, we've got an ice planet, we got a sand planet, we got this kind of gritty mud planet. Yeah, but like yeah, we don't we don't move around a lot between. Those are the only parts that are habitable, Dan. The rest of it is just not even... You can't even live there. The rest of it is terrible. Um, Call out also to the music, which continues to be phenomenal. And I think uh, what I really love about it, too, is as this goes on... I know the first episode... A lot of people felt a little jarred by some of the music because it, it seemed un-Star Wars-y in a lot of ways, right? It's not necessarily this just swelling orchestral score all the time. It has elements of that. It dips into... But a lot of it is uh, use of electronic stuff, use of lots of percussion. Um, and I like that as it continues, it it moves more into a Star Wars vein in the sense of there are these recurring motifs that come back. You know, the Mandalorian has a theme. Um, and so when you can sort of pick out things that are happening just by sort of the cadence of the music, the, the themes that reoccur, um, I think it's really exceptionally well done, very effective and I, I I like it a lot, even though it's not necessarily what you would immediately listen to and think this is a Star Wars movie, right? And and what Lauren said while we were watching it is um, she noticed it and said this feels like the music makes it feel like a movie. This is mm-hmm. mov- music. This is movie scoring. And I said, well, you know, it's Ludwig Göransson. He's an actual like movie uh, conductor who's who's doing this. It's they they didn't they sp- spared no expense, right? right? Yep. Yep. Um, and that he said, uh, I read an interview with him where he said, this is the most, you know, music he's written for any project sure, because yeah. he's writing, you know, eight episodes of, of music and they're releasing the, the, uh, the stuff on, on, uh, streaming so you can listen to it. So, um, it, as individual like blobs, which is pretty cool too. And it's a very modern kind of thing to do. So, yeah, I think it sounds great. And I, I think, uh, the more we recognize the, the recurring themes, the better it sounds. Agreed. Um, all right. Do you have any last thoughts you want to wrap us up with or thoughts about where we've talked a little bit already about where we're going um, and what yeah. might happen, but any, any final thoughts? No, I'm, I'm really enjoying the ride. Um, I'd say better than expected is my review up to now. The last two have been really great. Um, and I am very impressed with how they've been able to define that character without us ever seeing his face. That's uh, quite a, quite a magic trick that they, that they're pulling. So as somebody who likes star Wars a lot, but, uh, and you know, was, uh, what, six years old when it came out. Like it's, it's been a part of my life since I was a little kid. Um, 
I I think it's really fun to have a live action Star Wars TV series, and this is a this is a really good model. Like, I remember when Rogue One came out, we all were talking about like, well, anthology Star Wars movies are an interesting idea, but there is this question of like, are they just going to be telling stories about things we've already seen? Right. And because and Rogue One and Solo are both basically just, here's a thing that happened in Star Wars or a person and what happened back then. And I, I, I think that maybe is the wrong model. And now they're not going to make those movies anymore, but I, I, easy for me to say, but it's like, maybe that was the wrong model. And Mandalorian is interesting because it's like, it's very faithful to Star Wars, but it's telling a story that is not, let's go back and tell. I mean, you could argue, yeah, Boba Fett armor or something, but it's like, the story they're telling is not about some character. You know, it, it, it's about, it's using pieces of things we know, Boba Fett armor, Yoda, but in a really different way and uh, very stylishly and confidently in ways we've described. I like it, and I hope this is the model, and I assume it is, for the other Star Wars shows they're going to do on Disney+. Plus. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I, I see a lot of people lamenting the idea of like, oh, you know, doing prequels and like going back and explaining things from just all sorts of movie franchises, right? Uh, and I like that even though this is nominally like a prequel to some of the stuff that we've seen in the more recent Star Wars movies, it doesn't right. really matter because it's not directly tied in with that plot so far as we've seen, right? This is about some guy in a totally different corner of the galaxy dealing with his own little personal story that is not about you know ray and finn and poe fighting the first order or whatever happens right right? like and that that shows i agree with you there's a model there that is really compelling because it's this is a galaxy it's huge there are billions of people in it we don't have to tell a story about just these seven people uh dealing with their own even if it is like a really like galaxy the fate of the galaxy hands on their shoulders what's great about star wars is that the world is so detailed and so fleshed out that it feels like you can zoom in on this planet and just be like What's going on with this guy, this bounty hunter over here? What's his deal? And it still yeah, why is, feels and, consistent. And why is this important? And the answer is, did you know that there was another child of Yoda's species, that there was a fight to see who was going to have that child? Yeah. It's like, I did not know that. I was like, well, yes. And this guy is the guy who made it all happen. And we'll tell you that story now. That, that all said, if the Obi-Wan show ends up being just Obi-Wan and like baby Luke and a little floating thing, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, no, you shouldn't do that. Very lone wolf and cub then. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that there's a still open question about that. We'll see. They've got a couple more shows in the offing, but we don't know uh, really what those right. are going to look like. So, but I like, I like, like even the Obi-Wan thing where it's like, yes, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the, the later years kind of thing. But like, Ben between when he's in the prequels and he's in Star Wars, like there's a whole life there. And was he really, you know, just tending his little mold farm, patch yeah, out, out, his little, his out, little out on Tatooine? Uh, or were, were there things that happened that were interesting where you've got a retired a Jedi Knight sort of in hiding, but there's the remnants of the rebellion and all of that? Like, uh, and before because obviously leia knows to call him uh to service right so like i i feel like you there's a story to be told there again it's all in the execution but like even though that's going back to an existing character it's kind of going back to an empty space yeah and and there's a story to be told there that's interesting so um, even though i don't think i'm going to get my dream which is the because i'm a padme truther (laughs) is that is that uh it's about uh, obi-wan and padme who did not die because that was all just a fake because you don't die of a broken heart and that she's out there uh and needs his help but 
I, that's I, not going to happen. I will say I did like th- there's another little um, uh, homage in here where um, the Mandalorian asks Karga, why should I trust you? And Grief Karga tells him, I'm your only hope, which felt like yeah. uh, a <laughs> little bit on the nose there, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It felt like an inversion of it, right? It's not you're right. my only hope. It's I'm your only hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not so like good. Not so good. So we'll see, but um, I'm enjoying the ride. It's great. As am I. All right. Well, that is all for us this week. I would like to thank my guest, Jason Snell, for being here to talk about episode three of The Mandalorian. Jason, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Live long and prosper. Oh, you had to go there. You had to go there. Mixing the streams. And thank you all out there for listening to A Complicated Profession. We hope you're enjoying The Mandalorian as well. Uh, feel free to uh, hit me up on Twitter at dmorin if you've got questions or thoughts about the show. And we will be back next week to discuss Chapter 4. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>